Well, I'm so grateful for those who are tech savvy. I tried early this morning. I, I woke up very early thinking, ooh, <laughs> how does this work? <laughs> and much to my uh, chagrin, I couldn't figure it out, Googling it. So, <laughs> And my daughter worked last night, so I wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to text her and uh, bail me out. So, But nonetheless, good morning, ladies. Those of you here in person and those listening online, here we are, just a few days before Easter weekend, and what a treat it is to shed some winter wear. You know, boots, coats, gloves, yesterday was glorious. I had the privilege of sitting on the back deck uh, chatting with a friend who I had not spoken to for a number of months, and it was a true delight. Uh, spring does re-energize us. From the early morning sounds of birds chirping happily away to our first glimpses of green buds in the garden. Truly, it's a season of renewal. I have a question for you. Are you also ready to shed some emotional weight? Burdens of care, of worry for family, for friends, or even perhaps for yourself too? Easter is a magnificent reminder of how God used his tremendous love for us at great cost and pain to relieve us of our greatest pain and suffering, our sin, shame, and guilt. And then Christ rose victorious over death, over the captivity of all that binds us, imprisons us in order that we may live eternally by his mercy and grace and freedom and forgiveness. And so um, just a, a way of introduction, I wanted to, um, my husband said I had to do this. <laughs> he read my notes and he said, Debbie, you're going to keep them there to two o'clock. You better edit it. I said, oh, okay. And he said, you better have an outline. So very briefly, here we go. <laughs> Um, I have borrowed this title from one of my favorite podcasts. Actually, it's uh, pastor and author Rick Warren. You may know him from uh, the Purpose Driven Life fame. And um, I was very inspired by his devotional called uh, Easter Means No, Common, uh, no Condemnation. So we're going to look at whispers of condemnation, obstacles to embracing God's love and living in freedom, and then what our response is, and then with a quick summary. As I considered and prayed at length which aspect of the Easter story to cover today, I found myself drawn back again and again to God's immense love. Along also, though, with thinking about Good Friday, the agony of the cross, my utter depravity that took Jesus there, how often I have squirmed mentally and emotionally, if not physically necessarily, being so uh, focused on the enormity of my sin, my salvation from sin, yes, yet I was missing the point, literally. The enormity of God's love that enabled my salvation, love that not only saves me from the condemnation I deserve, but that love that also allows me to live in his love in freedom, freedom from regret, guilt, and shame. God's unconditional love is a familiar concept we all know of, but it's, is it a deep experiential knowing that practically embraces the full measure of his love? Too many believers are saved, but don't act like it. We're full of shame and guilt. They believe in Jesus, but have not been set free from condemnation. In recent months, I've prayed that God would help me see myself and others through his eyes. Our perspective is so easily influenced by past experience, thoughts, and emotions. I began to realize that to see myself as he does would require a change in perspective, that included allowing myself to experience a full measure of his love and then allow that love, mercy and grace to overflow into the lives of others. Truly, we need to start with ourselves first. Make sure we are renewed within. 
and let his grace overflow into, into the lives of others. Do you ever wound yourself with words, constantly rehearsing past mistakes and failures? Ever ask yourself, who do you think you are? I have to lead this Easter reflection. <laughs> you should not feel this way, or if I was a better Christian, I would not feel this way. Self-condemnation is being unable to let go of a past sin and our anguish over something we did. Guilt wastes a ton of energy. It wears us out and robs us of peace of mind. The good news, however, is found in Romans 8.1. And this is a verse we're well acquainted with from our study in Romans, and I have it listed up there on the board as well, along with Isaiah 61.1. There is now no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. That means God doesn't judge us for all the things we've done wrong. We are found innocent of the accusation. To have no sentence inflicted, no guilty verdict is pronounced. It has been said that the experience, it's not the experience that brings transformation, but rather it's our reflection on that experience. So here's my personal Easter reflection. Things I've learned in the last few months. And I pray encourage us to begin anew. A transformative process from within. Christ paid for our sins, even, just, even if just for me, even if just for you. He loves us just that much. So let's pray before we dive in. Heavenly Father, I come to you in great weakness today, as you well know. I'm humbled by your immense love, mercy, and grace. As shown at Calvary, just as I am now. Thank you for all the hearts listening today. Please meet us right where we're at and reassure us of your incredible love. Despite whatever thoughts and feelings of condemnation we harbor deep within, some perhaps we're not even aware of, that keep us from walking in freedom and forgiveness with ourselves and others. We praise you for your unconditional love, your complete forgiveness, and total acceptance for us that we enjoy in Christ. I pray that you'd fill me with your peace, your words, and your attitude of loving humility as I share my heart with these ladies. Perhaps, Lord, some are in need of your healing touch through your word today. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. So, let's start by looking at a few obstacles to embracing God's love. And in this uh, area, I wanted to really focus on tactics of the enemy and the lies we believe. This is something that God had been impressing upon my heart the last few months. It has been mentioned, self-commendation whispers all the things you did, what you should have done, and how God can never use you. It shows up as every little thing you've done wrong. It circles around in our heads like a merry-go-round. An overwhelming, shameful feeling that you just aren't good enough. But who, in fact, is your worst enemy? Is it actually Satan, the father of lies? Or is it, in fact, yourself, myself? As one author says, Satan wants us to make, wants to make us think less of Jesus. He gets a thrill out of exploiting our vulnerable spots. We can't always blame him, however. <clears throat> we have a choice to choose. But the reality is we often choose against ourselves. The words we say to ourselves, the mistakes we keep rehearsing in our minds. However, through him we can conquer all enemies, including our against-me thoughts. Satan loves pushing your buttons. His job is to persecute, condemn, and convince you that his lies are the truth. He's subtle and he deceives. You think it's your own thoughts, not his. 
His goal is to stop spiritual growth. He wants to undermine our view of God and to turn our hearts away from him. Don't cooperate with his scheme to bring you down. Recognize his tactics against you. He combines outright lies, half-truths, and falsehoods disguised as truth. And he often keeps us too busy. Too busy in order to distract us from, for, from remembering who God is. Afraid and worried. So consumed with, what can I do to fix this situation? <laughs> he will also plant seeds of doubt in our mind, causing us to question the goodness and love and the motives of God. He wants to believe that God cannot really love us, that he actually feels disappointment in us, versus the truth, which tells us he actually delights in us. Questions like, will he really provide? Does he see and know all I'm going through? Does he really have a good plan for me? Another favorite tool of Satan is negative emotions to whip us around. Fear, resentment, bitterness, worry, shame. When in fact, Revelation 12.10 tells us, Satan is the accuser of brethren day and night. He accuses us before our God. We are in a battle 24-7. 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Another area he works hard to use in our lives is past experience. Rick Warren will say, we are in fact a product of our past, but not a prisoner of it. <laughs> that I found very insightful. We actually, we are called to leave the past behind. Scars of painful things remain. Fair enough. We live with those scars, but we know Christ redeems and he restores these things in beautiful ways. We are broken people, but we are redeemed and restored. Christ is our identity. We don't have to be defined by the past at all. And another question I have for you, as I ask myself in preparing for this, what bait does Satan use on you? We all need to pause and reflect and ask ourselves before God in prayer. Is it in fact past mistakes, failures, past comments from others, fear of exposure, disapproval, losing control, even fear to be honest with yourself, let alone with others? Human approval, the need to be liked and accepted. We want to be affirmed from those around us. Does our reputation matter more than serving God? These are hard questions. And I think it does take time. It's not something you do quickly. It's in my experience. It's rather a process mm -hmm. that I pray we can all start to take the time not to uh, be too busy, to look out, nurture our souls in that way. Another uh, area that I think has been confusing for me is um, the distinction between conviction versus condemnation. And another quote that really spoke to me in this is, uh, if you don't know who you are in Christ, his righteousness, when corrected, you will always hear condemnation, not correction. The Holy Spirit convicts, not condemns. He is kind even when he convicts. He instills hope for your future when you repent. And he gets specific with us about our sin. We all need to remind Satan we don't belong to him. We need to claim, Romans 8, 1, nail it to our front doors if necessary. <laughs> we are in Christ. We belong to him. He carried our sins so we don't have to. And we need to allow him to make us a new creation. Billy Graham has another famous quote in this area. 
that states, the Holy Spirit convicts. It's God's job to judge. However, it's my job to love. I think far too often we get those mixed up. So turning now to some of the lies we believe. Listening to the voices of inferiority, insecurity, and inadequacy can emotionally bind us. Echoes of not being good enough, comparison, and everything we are not. Some struggle with disappointing others and the need for approval. Women, we are very hard on ourselves. We're quick to point an accusatory finger inward and prone to believe our condemning thoughts are directed by God himself. Lies such as, I'm responsible for everyone in my family. It's my job to fix everything and everyone. And I, in this regard, I had, I reminded myself that sp spouses often get the short stick on this. <laughs> and then to keep everyone happy. Oh my. Despite our best intentions, God never intended that for us. God can never use you. There's another lie at times. Listening to words from our past that no one hears but us. Because of his finished work on the cross and because of his spirit in you, you are more than enough to do what he called you to do and to be. And, you know, it's not just a simple statement of, I should just forgive myself and get on with it. No, God alone has the authority to forgive us. We don't. It's a matter of recognizing God's authority to forgive us. In Romans 8, Paul teaches us we're not only free from the bondage to sin, we're free from the inner emotions and thoughts that tend to bring us feelings of condemnation when we sin. Romans 8, 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And so now we'll go on to what's our response in terms of how to combat these uh, thoughts. And... There are a number of things I'd like to go over here, namely who we are and whose we are, how to release our fears, and how to know his promises and replace lies with truths. <coughs> Remember you're human. <laughs> Leave room for yourself to make mistakes. We still need a lot of renewal to take place from within when it comes to our emotions and thoughts. Many put pressure on themselves to be perfect. Women, I think we excel in that. <laughs> we set a high standard for ourselves. However, no one's perfect. Jesus paid the price that we should have paid but couldn't. And so we've got to remember on his, uh, remember that our righteous, righteousness comes from him. Knowing whose you are. Our purpose is to please God and not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts and so we need to remember that God made you, God made us to be us, to be you. Refuse to be defined by others. We all have strengths, weaknesses, challenges, but we don't have to be defined by those. We are, in fact, his beloved of God. Lydia Brownback describes the freedom we can experience as forgiveness and freedom comes as we acknowledge the depth of our sin. And when we see the magnitude of Christ's payment for that sin and how his blood covers it and how free we really are. 1 John 3.20, I found particularly helpful too. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, for he knows everything. And so in that respect, we need to 
release our fears. Choose to turn our minds from everything we're not to everything he is, to that God of grace. Choose to believe the but God promises over the not good enough reproaches of self-condemnation. I am not good enough, absolutely, but Christ in me makes me not just good enough, but justified and righteous before God. Another comment from Rick Warren, phrase that caught my attention, and it hurt, I'll be honest. (laughs) God is more interested in our character, our growth, rather than our comfort. So often I think of what I pray for, for myself, for my family, for friends, for church family. And so often my heart pours out, well, Lord, if you could just change this situation, if you could figure this out, do this, do that. When in fact, he's more interested in changing me. (laughs) How I think uh, about that situation, to try and see it through his eyes, and about myself too. So... um, and that way, losses, losses rather, are a big area of, of our lives that we uh, can experience a lot of pain through. And I came across this statement that uh, I found helpful. Losses deepen me, but they don't define me. They're part of my maturity, but they're not my identity. And no life is without change. And no change is without loss. And no loss is without pain and grief. It is part of life, and in God's grace, we do it in his strength to cope with it. However, we do need to act on the word rather than reacting to others or even the devil's tactics. So this now leads us into to know his promises, how we can firmly place our feet in God's promises, his truth. You don't overcome a negative thought with just a positive thought. You overcome a negative thought with declaration of the word of God. And I think the world might tell us differently at times. <laughs> we need God's word. We need, it to, we need to be saturated in it. However, we need to meditate on it, but not our problem. We often get those two confused. <laughs> so declaring the truth instead of wallowing in shame and pity. Remember that... What you do does not change the way God is looking at you. God never stops loving us because of what we've done. And we need to recall that it is by our faith that we overcome. 1 John 5, 4. We are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Isaiah 43, 25. He remembers your sins no more. The Lord is your strength. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so to replace these lies, and you will know better than me which ones hit the nail on the head for you, (laughs) if we give ourselves pause to consider them. Some common ones, in particular for women, are God is not good. However, we do know that he is good, and he does only good. Psalm 107, verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Another one is, God doesn't really love me, when in fact the truth is you are conditionally loved. My love for you will never end. Isaiah fifty four ten. 
At times we feel, I'm alone. But when in fact the truth is, he never leaves us. Matthew 28, 20. Surely, I am with you always. I can't do this. Another common one we'll rehearse in our heads, when in fact, we can do everything through Christ who gives us strength. I'm not enough. When in fact, God is more than enough. In God's eyes, we are enough, because he is enough. Second Peter 1 verse 3 tells us, His divine powers give us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. When we give our lives to Christ, we we become new creations. We gain access to all he has to offer and everything we need for life and godliness. He invites us to come to him and believe that no matter what the world may tell us, no matter what lies have wounded our hearts, no matter how inadequate we may feel at times, we are in fact enough. He also challenges us to live for an audience of one. He helps us to see where the voices of doubt were coming from, and he challenges us to consider the source. And he continues to whisper to us how much he loves us over and over again. And these, uh, this area, I'd like just to briefly consider how we can manage our thoughts and our feelings, because so often this is the source of so many negative thoughts. God is far more interested in changing your mind than changing your circumstances. That's another owie, another ouch. <laughs> we need to renew our minds. We have, in fact, a choice. Your mind, my mind has, a, has to listen to your will. We just don't have to blindly accept everything we think or feel. He didn't give us just a mind, he gave us a will too. So we need to choose. Be intentional to feed your mind with truth all the time. To take captive every thought, to make it obedient to Christ. To reframe thoughts, to infuse truth back into the situation where you don't ignore the reality of what you're facing but it means an act of choice to factor God back into the equation. God's more interested in our future than our past, so we need to stop rehearsing mistakes, stop regretting them, rather learn from them. He has removed my transgressions from me, and he no longer remembers my sins, Isaiah 43, 25. And so in managing our feelings as well, we need to name them, and we need to challenge them. Jesus wants to be Lord, not just of how you feel, not just what about what you think or do. We need to name what we're feeling, and if we can't name it, then ask God, I'm confused, help me, cross-examine me, test my emotions and my heart, and just remember that if we swallow our emotions, if we stuff them, our bodies do keep store, score. <laughs> Stuffing emotions has its consequences. We need to be honest with ourselves, bring them before the Lord, and ask him to use it to bring healing. To ask ourselves, is this really accurate? Don't assume it's true. <laughs> Not everything you feel is true. You can't depend on everything you feel, and you don't have to accept it. To change an unwanted emotion is not what, by willpower alone, though. Another thing the world would like us to believe. <laughs> Just get over it. Move on. Mm -mm. Zechariah 4, verse 6. You will not su succeed by your own strength or power, but my spirit, says the Lord. <coughs> Is what I'm feeling helping me or hurting me? 
Ask to be filled with his spirit. Galatians 5.22 When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he'll produce this kind of fruit in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the final way we can combat these condemning thoughts is to trust in God's character, especially in things we don't understand. And I think we've all been there. We've all been in situations, if not for ourselves personally, but for family members, where we don't know where God is in that situation. And it's hard. And it's so hard, in fact, to thank him for who he is, for his character, even when we can't find any other reason to thank him. We all run the risk of interpreting who God is by our circumstances. It's human to doubt God's promises when hard times befall us. Our theology of God helps us actually process our circumstances, not the other way around. We can learn from Job's experience that God does not owe us an explanation. We often spend so much time consumed with the why. With the why. Why God? Why now? Why him? Why her? Why me? And in fact, an explanation does not necessarily reduce the pain. It doesn't comfort. God conceals and reveals according to his purposes. And at times, he intentionally conceals so we don't trust our feelings. And as Rick Warren would say, put it in the Ask God Later file. (laughs) I don't understand it file. So let's pause and remember what's true about God, no matter how we feel. That he he is, in fact, a good and loving God. He is all-powerful. He notices every detail of our lives. He is in control. He has a plan for our life. He will protect us. He forgives, heals, redeems crowns us with love and mercy, and satisfies us with good. His love endures forever. He sees, he knows, and he cares. And for me, this is my summary statement of all that he is. You are the God of just enough at just the right time. So to summarize, we have, in fact, three choices daily that we need to make as we consider these thoughts that would bind us. And one is to surrender our hearts, our minds, and our will to him. To pause and respond. Give the Spirit space to act through you, through me, to stay saturated in his word. We are, in fact, being transformed in ways beyond our understanding. God can transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. Then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Romans 12, verse 2. Our role is obedience. God's role is results. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. Remember how much God loves you and embrace it fully. When we're tempted to doubt God's love, we get into trouble. (laughs) We're tempted to doubt his promises and the efficacy of prayer. God must not love me. He's let me down. Even for the perfectionists in our midst today, myself included, as 2 Chronicles 16.9 tells us, God's looking for someone whose heart is perfect towards God, a heart fully committed to God, not perfect actions or behavior. God will take you where you are at now and take you to where you need to be. 
God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does expect us to be honest. And transformation starts with owning up, being honest with ourselves before God. And then finally, we need to offer that same love to others that he gives us. However, I believe it starts with ourselves. We have to accept it. We have to receive his love and let that love flow through us to others. To accept one another just as Christ accepts us. And in Corinthians 13, verse 7, we're reminded how God loves us. He never stops being patient. He never stops believing in us. He never stops hoping in us. He never gives up on us. I tried to insert my own name in that, and I stumbled. <laughs> it's a hard task. Am I patient with myself, with others? Am I believing in myself and others? Am I hoping in myself or others? Am I never giving up on myself or others? That's a tall order on any particular given day. However, we do have a choice. And in Christ, we have the power over what we listen to and who we follow and we'll over what thoughts we let sit. And so we need to choose to see ourselves and our circumstances from God's perspective. And we need to ask God to realign our view with his and to bring us peace through that. He wants us to live in freedom from a place of his love and grace, not from a place of guilt. I have a handout here that um, you're welcome to pick up. And it's entitled, um, When It Feels Like Nothing Can Help. And um, I got this from Proverbs 31 Ministries. And it's entitled, What to Pray in the Hard Moments. And just back to my earlier comment of how this was my personal reflection on Easter. I think taking the time to meditate and reflect on God's word uh, is a powerful tool at our disposal. And we need to pray and personalize it for ourselves. And there are times when we don't have the words. We're hurting so badly. And there are uh, sample scriptures here that have been personalized. And, um, and then I tried to take it uh, and do the same for myself with a verse of scripture and just to pour out my heart before God. And I think that's a way in which we um, bring knowledge of his word in our heads down to our hearts. And so uh, just to close, I want to uh, leave you with a powerful image I read of. Christ tells us, lift up your head. I've come to set you free. I place my nail-scarred hand under your chin. You are free from all that binds you. I was sent to announce freedom to all held captive, forgiveness to all who have been imprisoned. Isaiah 61.1 His undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness for us, his mercy, forgives and it sets us free. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. So let's close. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed by the enormity of our, your great love. And yet, our need for you, we don't deserve it. We can't earn more or less of it. And you love us just as we are today, in this moment. Strengthen us by your grace so we don't resist your love. We surrender ourselves to let you love us and to let your love change us. 
Help us to keep trusting you, your love and your promises, and your timing for all we are becoming in you. Thank you for your work of grace in each and every, every one of us, and also for your Spirit's work of renewal within us, enabling us to live in freedom through your resurrection power. In your name we pray, amen.